This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Galaxies we hear, so down I can see you so sincere. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This. I am Carrie Borkowski here with Brianne Ruse and Kate McMahon back for part two, volume two, whatever you want to call it, of our discussion of bittersweet. Um, we are super excited to get into this. For folks who are new, just a reminder that this is a podcast about all things belonging, community, connection, collaboration, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of the pod, we've explored research and scholarship on or related to belonging, shared stories, listened and engaged with diverse individuals about belonging during the pandemic, as parents, as leaders, and just as human beings who show up for all the things. And in this season, if you remember, we are journeying into belonging in our relationships of all shapes and sizes, friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, all that you can imagine. And again, uh, Kate, welcome back to, gosh, I feel like you're becoming um, a regular guest on our Ooh. podcast, which is very exciting. <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. So for folks who are just picking up the pod and you're like, oh, wait, this is part two. Yes, this is part two. And if you, um, I would highly recommend, or we would recommend that you go back and listen to part one. Um, this is a discussion sort of a reflection on bittersweet. So it might be helpful to go back and listen to part one today. Um, who knows where the conversation is going to take us? That is, that is part of the fun of being part of this podcast. We, we have a Google doc, we did some prep, but we haven't talked about this part. And so we don't know what's going to come up just as you don't know. We do have a little plan. And, and our first thought is that just uh, riffing off of our conversation last week, we will sort of voyage into implications of of bittersweet and sort of our thoughts around what does it mean for us to show up in the world um, with this sort of bittersweet, whether we and Brianne and I were talking before we recorded, Kate, we were acknowledging that bittersweet shows up whether you have articulated it, thought about it, reflected on it, processed it. So we need to remember that like we're all grappling with bittersweet, um, even if we don't <laughs> pinpoint it in that moment. So okay. Yeah. So who wants to, who wants to start us off? Anybody have a, a burning desire to share? I mean, Brianne, you had, you had pointed out some great stories and quotes. I don't know if you want to kick it off with uh, any of those to get us started. Yeah. <clears throat> sure. I mean, one of the things as I was looking through the book this morning, one of the stories that she talks about about around page 184 is the example of the donkey. So she and her family, she, Susan Kane, by the way, is the author. I don't know if we noted her again, but Susan Kane. Uh, and her family, her husband and children had gone on a vacation and there were some donkeys around wherever they had gone. And the kids were young and were 
had gotten attached to the donkeys and enjoyed them and were sad about leaving them at the end of the week. Mm. And she and her husband were like trying to figure out how to <laughs> like foster this separation with the donkeys that was inevitable and hard. And eventually she came around to the fact that like they were most consoled when they were told that goodbyes are a part of life mm. and that everyone feels mm -hmm. that sadness and that they would feel it again. So kind of just normalized what they were feeling, which is like, yeah, this is really sad. It was really hard. It was so much fun with them. Maybe we'll see them again. Maybe other people will take care of them while we're gone. And this is part of it. So just kind of acknowledging where they were and, and feeling it. And then she says, um, this is a quote. She said, when children, especially those growing up in relative comfort, grieve a loss, they're crying in part because we've unwitt unwittingly taught them a delusion that things are supposed to be whole, that real life is when things are going well, that disappointment, illness, and flies at the picnic are detours from the main road. Mm. And so what she and her husband did in that time was they normalized it and, you know, talked about it, the sadness, mean, you know, um, and can that some, just really stuck with me. Can somebody do one of those? What is that thing? What do you need? Like a needlepoint? A needlepoint. Can somebody needlepoint that? <laughs> uh, not it. Kate, how's your needlepointing? Yeah. Uh, also not skilled in that way, but <laughs> I just feel like I need that needlepoint on my wall. Like this idea that like the disappointment, illness and flies at the picnic are detours from the main road. I mean, I have to say that if if I had had more conversations around that when I was a kid and I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, I try to have more conversations with our own kids. That's, that's a, to me, that's a huge shift in how you embrace life. I don't know. Kate, what do you think? No, I think that that's so true. And I think in this culture, you know, you see movies and TV and what, you know, love is supposed to look like and what, you know, success is supposed to look like. And it, it is so hearing you say that Brian reminded me of the effortless perfection piece of it um, mm -hmm. from Princeton. That was on page 132, but they just were talking about as students, what you're supposed to look like, you know, you're supposed to look like you didn't study at all, but you're supposed to get the best grades. You know, you're supposed to have this easy grace that, you know, you're, you know, you, you drink and you're super fun, but like, you're not like the most drunk person there. You're not like the one that doesn't like you, like, it's like this fine balance that young people are going through, but not acknowledging that that doesn't have to be like that. You're not alone in your sad thoughts. You're not alone in your joy. You're not alone and normalizing that like she did with the donkeys for her kids and just saying like, and the sooner you can have these conversations in preparation for these Princeton students, um, you know, starting in our own homes with our own selves, you know, just kind of gifting kids with the opportunity for awareness of those hurts. I think the easy fix is to try to put a bandaid on and say like, it's okay. We're good. We just, let's just keep going. You know, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be, it's going to be happy ending. No problem. You know, but instead of really doing the hard thing, which is like yeah. sitting with the hard feels and, and acknowledging them and, and seeing, I mean, that's what we all want, right. Is to see and be seen and yeah. I think starting from a young you know, the sooner you can do that with your own kids or with kids in general, I think is a, is a good thing. That effortless perfection part, I felt so connected to that. Mm -hmm. um, like in my own life and experience in what I see with my students and Carrie, it reminded me of the episode that we did on friendship mm. when we talked about the work of friendship and friendship on the outside looks like it's so easy. And cause when you're with your best people, two of whom are on the screen right now, which is like yeah. amazing, um, <laughs> You know, from the outside looking in, it just looks like 
it's so effortless, but really it's, it, there's work in a good way, right? Because yeah. we had to intentionally connect and all those sorts of things. And so to me, part of parenting is like naming the work and recognizing and praising the work. Yep. And that effortless perfection is like, that's a myth. I mean, that's just not, yeah. that's yeah. not a thing. And if it looks that way, you have to remember what you said earlier, Carrie, is that everybody's got bitter and sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, Absolutely. it's never as it appears. Yeah. As much as I will say, and I'm admitting it on the podcast, as much as I, and as a gay woman, I think this is hilarious. As much as I love rom-coms and, and Susan <laughs> rolls her eyes when I like, I do, I just love them <laughs> Yeah, and they do us such a disservice. I know because I everything is wrapped up in a bow. And I remember even like Disney, the Disney movies, cause like Colby, our oldest, he's, he's a feeler like me, which I just love in him. And one of the Disney movies, something, you know, hard happened. There was a breakup or something. And I said, just hold on, buddy. Just hold on to the end because it's not going to be yeah. <laughs> but like that's that's like I mean, it's fun because it's entertaining. But like it just reminds me that like this is our focus. Right. And there's a researcher. Who's the researcher? Is she at Harvard that does the toxic positivity stuff? Oh, um, yeah. I can't remember the person's yeah. name. I tried to look it up while you guys were talking, but it's the same thing. It's like it's just it's as toxic as being like really unhappy or mean or whatever other emotion you associate with toxic. Right. So there is a, there is a benefit. I wonder the question that I'm hearing, like in my head, the story I'm telling myself and the curiosity of like parents might ask is, well, what's the line with kids? Right. Because like, on the one hand, you know, when we were dealing with what well, we still are in some ways, the pandemic and the racial reckoning around the murders of George Floyd and others, like what's the line between it's supposed to be whole and real life? Like what I don't know. What do you both think about? Like, how do we navigate that as caregivers and parents with our we don't want to scare the hell out of them. Right. And we also want to teach them lessons. So what do you I don't know. What do you both think about that? And it's a great question because the truth is, is that we're all running to soccer practice and we're all running, you know what I mean? We're trying to get dinner on the table and then like the feelings and the things. And, you know, I think that, and this is something I'm definitely like trying to work on having four kids and being tugged in all the different directions, but trying to hold space Mm. within reason and when um, possible and and, and holding space, but creating space, like Mm -hmm. creating opportunities for those conversations to be had. Because so often it's Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday. Okay, do you have your shin guards? You know, like it's, and so, yeah, I think it's a great question about how do we, you know, engage in these kind of sticky things. I think that, you know, I think the first step is kind of cultivating a landscape in the home where it's okay to come to you with those kinds of things to Mm -hmm. be like the type of receiver that can, they feel safe knowing that they can, you know, engage with you. I think that is like foundational groundwork that like has to happen. And then beyond that, once they are comfortable, I think it's, I think it changes as they age, obviously, you know, like you have to kind of like, you a little bit have to tie it up in a bow when they're small, you know, knowing that that is a really hard thing. And I felt that way too. And, you know, let's see what happens tomorrow and stuff. But it's, I think as you get older, the questions get bigger and stickier and it's, it's really, I mean, it's really a hard thing. So I wish I had an answer, Brian. you're a little further down the road one year, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I know this is something that is like foreign territory for me. I feel like I loved 
babies, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, you know, school age kids. And I'm like totally fish out of water with this new, bigger, uh, broader scope. So I don't know if you have deeper thoughts on that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I have any wisdom. I just have friends and books (laughs) and And experiences. Come on. Yeah. And prayers, lots of prayers. I think there's a lot that I'm learning about transparency and the fact that I've actually never done this before. You know, I've never like parented a sophomore in high school before. And so there's something to that too. Like she'll ask me a question and I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) And then we just kind of have a laugh and a moment and then we just strategize. And I've led her, you know, down the wrong path sometimes with like a social issue or a social question. And I'm not talking like social justice. I'm talking about in her sphere of friends. Yeah. And I think there was value in that because, you know, she sent a text that wasn't great. It was sent at night and that's never a good thing. And I saw it. And I was like, sure, send it. And then that kind of blew up. And then the next day I was like, that we shouldn't have done that. Like that when you're mad, you don't, don't send it in the moment, just like sleep on, you know? So we kind of had some moments of learning in that together. And I I just think that's part of it is just being in the muck and knowing, like you said, Kate, that hopefully they feel comfortable and safe asking the questions about, about all the things. But so I, I think there's, their inner sphere of social life at school. And then there's also the bigger question where I go to Susan Cain's parenthetical reference from the quote before, where when children, especially those growing up in relative comfort, grieve a loss, et cetera. I just was kind of struck by that when she wrote it or when I read it again, because my kids and I have absolutely grown up in this relative, probably not even relative, just comfort. And then I think about Black Lives Matter and the racial reckoning and people who grew up extremely differently from me for whom, you know, saying goodbye to the donkey is like the every day. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so much hard stuff every day and it absolutely is a part of life because there's no way that it isn't because it's so present, um, which just kind of takes me to a bigger place of questions as a parent and as a person. Yeah. yeah, I think I love. That's- oh, go ahead. No, no I was go, going to say, I just, I love what I'm hearing from both of you is, and you said the word brand transparency, right? There's a, there's an honesty and an authenticity, to, and it's okay for us as parents and caregivers and individuals who are with young people a lot, right? Just to say, I don't know, and that's to me, that's a moment of showing that it's not always whole, right? That there's, um that there's questions and wonderings and curiosities. Um, And I do think modeling, you know, I mean, we know from learning theory, right, that modeling is hugely important to to young people. And I would even say like, I I recently lost my my aunt, my mom's sister um, to to cancer and Colby, so Colby's um, 10 and he was asking, you know, like you were saying, Kate, you know, starting to ask questions and Susan and I decided, that because the, of the way they were doing really a memorial service, not a viewing and sort of the traditional that it was, he, we were going to let him go. And I have to say like, yes, it's hard. Cause I had my own grief and, you know, I had to also sort of scaffold and guide Colby, but I will say that it was such an important experience for him, right. To hear like how she was, and my aunt Robin was living like this amazing life even though it was coming to an end. And so I think it was really good for him to hear that you can have hard and happiness all in the same space that like her daughters could, when they were speaking about her, 
laugh and cry all in the same sentence. And so, you know, I think, yeah, I think just being a little honest and giving them glimpses every now and again, I hope, you know, have, have impact, you know, down the road. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that the transparency piece, it's there's so much of like, all of these concepts are so nuanced. And I feel like the transparency piece, it, you need confidence to say, I don't have the answer, but with saying that it shows humility that you mm. don't have so again, it's this both and concept. And I feel like the more these conversations are so good and so important. Cause I feel like the more we can tease and this all out and giving like you guys, your anthem is like giving language to all of these like finer points. I feel like it's because that is really hard for a 10 year old to go and to say goodbye and to see, you know, to be in the muck, you know, but it yeah. is such a gift for, you know, for him to have been there. And just, as you said, so it's like, yeah. And I, I think that the, the saying, you don't know, that's something that I, you know, I was like, I love a boundary. I love to fit the mold. You'd say jump here. I love to hit that. It, it That's a scary thing for me mm. to say. I know my husband, even in med school, he, people would, you know, they'd be asking questions and he'd be like, I have no idea. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's so brave. <laughs> like, that's so, like, there's all these really smart people in the room and I, you're like, I have no idea, but it's like, that's the best thing you can do because if you wander down confidently down a wrong path, like this is your chance. Like, Oh, let me learn. Let me. And oftentimes I think when you're brave enough to sit in that space, it's a gift for you too, because then you can learn something maybe from your child, or maybe that opens up another door for, you know, a different conversation or a deeper conversation that is, I think, so yeah. important. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure too, right? Like if you, if you don't, if you aren't able to own and be proud of the, I don't know, like your husband did in med school, that is so much pressure because as you said, Kate, like the, I don't know is also encapsulated with humility. Well, the, the pretending you do know mm. is encapsulated with so much like now you've got to have this facade. Now you have this yep. stress. And what if they find out that I don't know? Mm -hmm. And I just think like, I mean, I would love my mom listens to the podcast. So I'm, I hope she's smiling right now, but I'm curious like about her, how, like her sort of posture in those moments as I was a kid, because I mean, we, she and I have talked about this and she has said to me, you know, I wish you know, I had, you know, not made more mistakes, but like showed you that I was, you know, made, making mistakes. And so I wonder like that must, there must've been a degree of stress and worry that she was putting up. Cause I, I mean, my mom was always put together when I was a kid. That's what I remember. And I'm sure I, hopefully she's laughing as she's listening. She was, she was put together. She was. And I know there were moments where she probably wasn't feeling put together. And I just wonder like what impact that might've had had she felt like she had the, you know, a little crack to say, I'm not feeling this outfit today. And I put it on anyway. Right. I just, I don't know. I'll have to ask her the next time I see her. Cause I'm, I'm curious now that we're having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's, I think there's power in the, I don't know. And then I think what comes next is important. And yeah. sometimes what comes next, that's where I think our sort of relative well, no, our age and then relative wisdom or whatever experience, that's where we can impart that with the kids yeah. mm -hmm. um, and say, like, I think we just need to sleep on it. Or, you know, when she was kind of dealing with some social stuff, like, what do we want to value in this? Like, I think we want to be inclusive like, of, mm -hmm. of, of all the things. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. what conversation can you have to just make sure 
that you're literally moving to another lunch table and inviting the other girls to go with you. Yeah. I mean, that's like in the weeds, in the trenches, but also, and I'm not using the words, what are our core values, but I'm, I hope saying, you know, using the words of like, what is the most important thing here Mm -hmm. that you're inclusive and that you can start to branch out and make new friends and not burn the old ones, (laughs) you know, and like navigate it. And it's so hard. Like, it's so easy to just sit here with a mic and and talk about it, but the actual doing of that mm-hmm. is really hard. So I think if we can say, I don't know, and then move on to like, hold on to those values that we have and find a way to enact them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and I think the conversations are important, but it's also what they see. Like you were saying, Carrie, about seeing your mom and modeling mm-hmm. falling apart. Cause sometimes it's like, you know, I've like, with the pandemic, there have been moments and like weird situations, but like, I've like cried and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, these kids are going to think I am a nut. Like I am. But then looking back, I'm like, but that is human. And that was real in that moment. And that, you know, for as, you know, like sometimes when you look back, you're like, oh my God, what, what am I doing? What, what kind of model am I being? I think that there's, you know, space and allowance for some of those crumbly bits, because like you said, you know, having, uh, you know, your model being kind of very together and on the ball and, you know, having all, and I think about that about myself sometimes too. I was not a kid who, you know, was like sneaking out of the house. I was not the kid who's like, you know, and I I have friends and peers who are like, oh, I got, I got my kid's number. I know (laughs) I I, I can see that. I can, but I'm like, I don't know that. Like, I don't know, you know? (laughs) So it's like, so I think sometimes like, I know my daughter has said like, Oh, like, you know, kind of with an eye roll, like, you know, it's a distancer to have everything all together. So I think it, when you do allow for those, like, you know, kind of frayed edges, you know, and kind of, you know, imperfections, I think that, you know, it is uh, a gift in the crumbly bits. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think what's, what I'm hearing also, what's feels inherent to what we're talking about is we as parents shouldn't be expected to and can't expect ourselves to be able to do all of this on our own right Mm -hmm. so inherent in that I don't know is the gift of this is a collaborative process of of raising human beings and I think you know Brianne you you brought and I would love for you to share the the work Richard Rohr's work right because I think what um, Susan Cain also talks about is this Mm multi-generational and how this bittersweet shifts and looks a little differently. And so I think that modeling shouldn't just come from us, right? It comes from the wonderful older people, whether they're family members or not, who are in our lives because they're they're looking at bittersweet and using that framework in a different nuanced way that is also important for our kids to see, right? So I just, Brianne, can you yeah. unpack that a little bit? I can. Yeah. So, I mean, I love how all these things always connect and I end up with like stacks of books and post-its <laughs> all around me in these conversations, but I was at an intergenerational communication workshop earlier in the week. So I, I sort of had that as my frame walking into today. And it was so eye-opening because it was talking about the historical events that shaped each generation and kind of the the aligned values and perspectives and how people within a generation communicate. That was kind of the purpose of it. Um, but it really helped me to, to gain that perspective. And then there's, so there's the inter intergenerational, like me talking with somebody of another generation, and then there's all the intra generational. And as within our generation, we age. So there's like two phenomenon going on here. And Kate sent me this book, um, it's Richard Rohr's falling upward. And she sent me the large print edition. 
I bought it for myself as well. And when it arrived for me, I also had that moment where I was like, what? Kate, I just have to say when she held it up, the first thing I thought was like, my, that's a big book. (laughs) She moved it across the screen. I was like, oh God. But then the funny thing is both of us read it. We We are aging. And both of us were like, it was actually kind of relaxing on the (laughs) eyes to read. It was like really pleasant. I could definitely be a... (laughs) <laughs> I could be a large print convert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as I was reading Susan Cain, um, kind of just getting back into it a little bit this morning, she was talking about Atul Gawande's work and his book, Becoming Mortal, um, Being Mortal, Being Mortal, mm-hmm. um, which is so good. Yeah, I mean, so just good. so good. And talking about uh, really death and dying from what it looks like for families and people and cultures, et cetera, which then made me think about Richard Rohr's falling upward because he talks about like the spirituality of the first half of life and the second half of life. And he has a chapter, chapter 10, it's called a bright sadness, which just that is like bittersweet, right? Mm -hmm. The paradox. And it begins with this quote. He says, there's a gravitas in the second half of life, but it is now held up by a much deeper lightness or an okayness. Our mature years are characterized by a kind of bright sadness and a sober happiness, if that makes any sense. I'm just grabbing for words to describe many wonderful wonderful older people I have met. If you've met them, you know for yourself and will find your own words. There's still darkness in the second half of life, in fact, even more, but there's now a changed capacity to hold it creatively and with less anxiety. Mm. Love that. Yeah. I do too. I just love that play on words, the bright sadness and Mm. sober happiness. That just really yeah. like resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I know she wrote something about that too, where, you know, when you see old, I don't, I can't remember if she was talking about it in reference to her father before he passed and reflecting mm-hmm. on his life, but just kind of, you know, the closer to the end you get, it's sort of an opportunity. Again, there's that duality and that nuance, right? You're, you're, you know, uh, my mother-in-law says on the conveyor belt of life, you know, she's getting closer to that end point. And that is a scary thing for sure. Um, You know, questioning your own mortality and how much longer you have left and what have you done, but it's also an invitation to appreciate those small moments, like looking at how the sun comes through your window or, you know, listening to your favorite song or, you know, just engaging with old friends, you know, on the phone distantly or, you know, live and in person. And it's like, it's, there's a chance, there's a, your pace slows down. It's not quite so frenetic, you know, when you, I think when you enter, at least from what I understand, when you enter that phase, you're not growing and establishing and building, you're looking backwards a lot. And that's the nostalgia and the poignancy. But I think that that, yeah, throughout your whole life, it's holding both, you know, and it's, um, it can be really hard. I, th- I would imagine it that phase two, but yeah, yeah that, I mean, I think, real- I think Brianna, it's related to that. Did you want to read that poignancy? Cause I love that, that page 187 quote. Oh. That you have. Um, if you have it, you can read it. I don't have it open. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find, oh, okay. she's talking, she's talking about this idea of the state of poignancy. And she says that elder, the elderly visit, visit it much more than the young. And she said, and it says, um, <laughs> Poignancy, she told me, is the richest feeling humans experience, one that gives meaning to life. And it happens when you feel happy and sad at the same time. And um, there's another place where she says, 
Oh, yeah. She says, we're also appreciating, even if it's not explicit, that this time of life will end, that good times pass as well as bad times. Sorry, bad ones that we're all going to die in the end. I think that being comfortable with this is adaptive. That's emotional development. It's page 187. I wonder, as I was listening to both of you, um, I'm, I know you've both heard this, sometimes younger human beings are uh, described as being wise. And I wonder why- Younger like, or older? Younger. Like, like, like a Yeah, like, a, like oh, an, old, like oh, an like, old soul, right? Like yeah. an old soul kind yes, of yes. wise, an old soul. I wonder, I'd have to think about it, but I what I was wondering about is, I wonder if- there's something about some young human beings that are keyed in earlier to what we're describing, like this bitter sweetness. And they have a, I don't know, that just came up for me. Like when we, when we, what do we mean when we say that, 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 that young person is an old soul? Like, is it? Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was. I, yeah. Well, I think it, sometimes it's like, there's uh, it's more pure because ego hasn't, hasn't quite gotten on board yet. You know, mm -hmm. there's not as much comparison to the outward and, and looks and achievements and all of those and like, you know, social circles and all of that. I think yeah. that it, it's, it's just, um, just a gentle, like inborn awareness, but that's interesting. Cause I do think like on the bell curve of life, it's almost like a reverse bell, you know, like I feel yeah. like there's like purity, there's yeah. this purity and, and awareness and, and kind of, you know, you think about, you know, I remember like the kids running up to hug me, you know, and it's like that just, or a look across the kitchen table where they would just be totally you know, mm -hmm. enveloping me in love, you know, and then it's like the teen years. That's where, that's where I'm <laughs> entering, which, you know, like less of that maybe. Yeah, and then, we're not there <laughs> yet. Oh. When you get to the end, <laughs> I think that it's like, you've been around the block so many times and you've, you know, you've been up, you've been down, you've been hurt, you picked yourself back up. And there's sort of like a, um, there's like a piece in that too, you know, yeah. like the, the days, you know, the days are growing shorter and your time, but it makes your time more precious, yeah. you know? And yeah. I think that people haven't, don't have that perspective, that long lens perspective, but they have this kind of like innate appreciation of exactly what is they're not mm, remembering yeah. or, or yeah, worry like an or intuition forecasting. Or yeah. yeah I keep thinking about like authentic presence. So like little mm -hmm. kids are just a hundred percent in mm -hmm. whatever is right in front of them, heart, mind, yeah. all of it. And yeah. it's, we kind of circle back to that, I think. Yeah. At the I other end. That's right. Yeah. It's funny. I love that this inter intergenerational or multi-generational conversations coming up. Cause I think we, we, in at least in our circles here as parents talk about how wonderful it is so we go to a unitarian church and that's something we talk about like having these like multi-generational services and it's often the the reason is often well there's so much we can learn from each other the context the history the this the that and what i'm wondering too is in the sort of spirit of bittersweet i feel like it's just a really natural and important way to like give our kids glimpses of that bittersweet and really energetic and courageous and positive ways, right. That it's like uplifting. And I don't know, it's like having people at different stages in your life, in your life is, is a reminder, you know, a, a good way to remind us that, that that's just, that that's just part of life, right. That there'll be, yeah. Comings and goings. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that. It's because it's, and it, I think it just gives um, us like a sense of place, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about like, I love listening to like my Nana or my grandparents, you know, and they came from same state, New York. Nana was in Queens, you know, my grandparents were in upstate New York, but my mom's parents, but it's um, the, the details are different, but it gives you a sense of, of your roots and where you come from and what has made you who you are and it's mm-hmm. how different things were. We didn't have phones back, you know, and, and it's an appreciation and awareness of what all we have. And, um, and it's interesting to think about, you know, what we'll be gifting, hopefully, you know, God willing, whatever one day, our children, you know, in, in our wisdom. And, but it's fun to think that we're like amassing all of that. Now we're like walking along and collecting experiences and people and, you know, hard things and beautiful things, but all of that's in service to us. And if we're lucky, we can give gift that forward to the next um, ones coming after. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. When we were in that um, meeting talking, Kate, about learning from people in other generations earlier in the week, Mm -hmm. there was a timeline on the board and the question for our small groups, which were intentionally mixed across disciplines, um, speech, language, pathology, and psychology, as well as faculty and graduate students. Mm And the questions were, you know, which of these events shape your mm-hmm. your history and kind of which are the ones that you hold on to? And so a few people remembered um, Vietnam that that came up. A lot of us talked about 9-11. The students were mostly not born. If they were, they were like toddlers for 9-11. So that is not a, I know, Carrie's shaking her head. It's like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> That's crazy. But do you want to guess what the most defining, I can't even say moment, but like thing that they discussed was in their generation? And I'm talking about students who are mm, early 20s, mid 20s. Yeah, what? No. Phones. (sighs) Really? It was all technology-based. I was like Obama getting elected. So that was on the timeline. They ha- well, the pandemic is real, but we're kind of still in it so that we don't have that mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a hundred percent framing and and that's a that's a moment, but it's a little hard to have perspective because we're not post yeah. far enough yet. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, on the timeline on the board, Obama and Trump were up there and they're like, Yeah, I mean, that's relevant. But um, <laughs> and not in a flippant way, but yeah, yeah, more, yeah. to them personally, what was more like felt like a big moment in time was their phones. Yeah. when they got their phones and the kinds of phones they got and oh. therefore the connections to people through the phones. Mm-hmm. So wow, I wanted really to like put my head in my hands and cry a little bit because I'm thinking about like 9-11 and history and terrorism and people we lost and all of this. And were their they, frame is really different. Was it, were they sharing that in a positive way? They were like, and I got an iPhone six and I or 10 or whatever, like, and I could connect with these people. Or was it like, Wow, that really changed me in like maybe a difficult way. They talked about like when they got their phones, how sophisticated the phones were and what that permitted them to do. And kind of the the connection between phone and socialization and um connection beyond even their immediate circles. I mean, it was like a really eye-opening conversation for I think everybody at the table. Yeah. And it made me think about belonging and technology and belonging and generations. I mean, I sent Carrie an article. I'm like, I, <laughs> I don't know where this, it, it's just, it's not a way that I was thinking before. So I really learned a lot from being in conversation with people 
Well, it's interesting. I mean, the, I, I think their response is interesting. The, the curiosity for me is the taking in of that question, I think is different at different stages of your life. How you define an impactful event when you're 10 versus 15 versus 25 versus 45 versus 80, mm. right? I think also sort of the way you process that is probably different. So, you know, they're sort of impactful feels like, you know, in some ways, maybe it's not that surprising because they were getting independence. They were getting, right. It was sort of, they're separating from their families at that moment. And so that feels like a coming of age sort of moment. Right. So, so anyway, I think it's interesting to unpack all the, all the ways to interpret that response. And I do, I mean, I, that is real. I mean, having a daughter, like I know Brit, we, I, have shared this with Brian, but with my first, we were, we gave her a flip phone because we're like, you, and she's like, T9. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, welcome to or cell phones or whatever. And, but so we, she got that as entering middle school, but she couldn't, you know, we thought we were kind of like being, you know, like cool, like vintage, you know, retro <laughs> parents. But, you know, she reports that she feels like that set her up for social, um, failure there because she couldn't, you know, there were all these group chats born and there were all these numbers exchanged and pictures were shared, but she couldn't receive the pictures and she couldn't be in the group chats. And not, I shouldn't say failure, but uh, set her up. She was felt disadvantaged, you know, had she had had iPhone, whatever would have been, um, you know, the cool one at the time. But I do, it is, I think you're right, Carrie. I think that, you know, the processing of that question is, um, is interesting. And, but she also says, she's like, you just, you know, my daughter who's 15, she's like, you don't understand, like you didn't grow up with this and that's the transparency. And I'm like, you're right. Like I was in my late twenties when I hit Facebook, you know, I mean, I was like a late adopter for that, but it's, um, I didn't have all of that, that she's growing up with. And and we are in some ways speaking different languages, you know, with Mm -hmm. expectations and things. So it is hard to, but that's wild to think that that was the most I read two articles recently, one about a family, um, families who were dealing with a student athlete who had committed suicide, um, and then another who had had a health issue, but she went viral on TikTok or whatever, but she was saying that the coming viral, she said, was really, it added so much stress into her life when she was sharing something that was hard, and then all of the attention and positive and negative that she received, she said it, it, it influenced her life in a, in a worse way. So I was curious if, you know, from your meeting, if your people, you know, the teens and whoever were at the table were like, yeah, I got a phone and that put me on this other path, but it sounds like they were just really acknowledging that it was more of a connecting, not a. Hmm. Yeah. And that it was like the mark on the timeline. It was like relevant enough to put on the timeline with the other historic and world events that were, were up there. It's interesting. I mean, I think this, your example, Kate, of your daughter with the flip phone, I love that you went vintage. I just like (laughs) rock, rock that. Looking back, I wouldn't advise it. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing though. Like I, I mean, so there's, um, Becky Kennedy, Dr. Becky Kennedy wrote a book, um, good inside. Right. I think we've talked about it and she talks all about lots of things, attachment theory and sort of boundaries with your kids. And, and one thing that she says that, that I was thinking of when you said that Kate is that, it's a, it's okay to say no to your kid like that. She's not advocating that you sort of just give, right. She's, and she said, and you just, 
you explain, you hold firm and you set that boundary. And so part of me thinks, and this is, I promise it's related to what we're talking about. Part of me thinks and hopes that one day as your daughter gets older, yeah, that won't. And these, and the students who said the phone was the like moment that won't be the moment at some point in their life. And she'll actually recognize what an important decision that was that you made to support her in the journey you felt like, right? Like, so I think there's like so much more to it that like, and that's why I think it's so freaking hard to raise <laughs> human beings. Like, right. Cause like it's, it's so much. Yes. And it's like, yes, we want you to be connected and we know the stress and worry that comes with being connected. And so we've got to negotiate this. Right. And the flip phone is what we feel like we can manage right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. I love, I love that. I mean, we battled Colby's 10 yeah, and he has a few friends and he went now for him to tell it. It's like, everybody has this thing. And I'm like, well, who is everybody? And he's yeah. like, well, maybe it's two people. Yeah. So he finally broke down and I, we gave him an Apple watch. It's an old Apple watch that I had. So it's like, you know, the second version, very old, but for him, it felt like you know, it was like you were saying, it was a step towards, you know, feeling like he could connect. So it's, I mean, navigating with technology among all the other things we do is just, it's hard. Um, and I think, I guess I'm just saying, Kate, I love that you, you know, you and your husband stood your ground on that. And sometimes we just have to listen to our kids not be happy with what we decide. <laughs> Yeah, a lot. And, that, and that's just the way that's just the way it rolls. So yeah. I mean you gave you gave Bridget stories for a lifetime. Like that's yeah. for sure. She's gonna she's gonna be telling that's that one for a while. Got. We were like, this will be great. I love that. I, I love like that. I know, but I'm like, but I, I'll never forget when she came in the car after the dance. I had driven all the girls. It was a minivan filled with bubbling, you know, prepubescent like excitement and thrill. And when I picked her and her best friend up, it was a totally different, you know, vibe. And it was like, it was one of those parenting moments, like you said, with the, you know, text that maybe wasn't great, Brienne, you're like, Ooh, you know, like the thing <laughs> that, that, which I thought was going to be like cool and fun and like a baby step. It was like, maybe we didn't think this all the way through, but it's, it's so hard to know when so and hard. how to what extent and it's but it's like you said it's the both and it's like I see you yeah I don't know what I'm doing I love you this is hard we want you to have freedom we want to put some you know guardrails up we've had a lot of conversations like that about guardrails and just we're just trying to keep you from going off the side, yeah. side of the cliff you know it's like you just but and we're all imperfect too I think it's um 100%. yeah yeah I think that that idea that we're all imperfect because we were trying, Brian and I were thinking about what we had talked about previously. And I think Kate, you had brought up the quote around the gathering shards of the broken vessel and how we each have, I think we were talking about light, right? That it's yeah. everybody has the light. And I think if we're thinking about like, what are the implications of this book and our conversations on how we show up? I think it's just that, right? What you said, which is we all are imperfect and we all have some part of this light or shard. And so I was thinking, I was likening it to like talent and a gift. And mm -hmm. so just, and I think the other piece of it for me is just remembering that, as I said in the beginning, we all have this bitter free, bittersweet framework that we're wrestling with. 
and we're not always doing a good job <laughs> of wrestling with it. And so, I don't know, just showing up in the world, remembering that we have gifts and we have struggles and it's all a part of it. And just, I don't know, it just, it's a good reminder for me to like show up and be more compassionate with people and not get so annoyed so quickly when people don't manage the things in the ways I think they should be managing. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, but it's, it's the knowing you're not alone. I mean, like mm. that's, that's the, the biggest gift of it is knowing that, you know, on the other, you know, across the boardroom on the other end of the table is someone who's also grappling with maybe the same things or maybe different things, but much as it may look like things are effortless, effortless, effortlessly perfect on the outside, like there are those struggles too. And I feel like there's such peace for me in that, you know, knowing that, you know, you might not know what it is specifically, but just hold, you know, just that base knowledge is kind of a, an exhale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. I can, I mean, not to go into, um, personal, experiences too much, but like I can mark moments in my young life where it was, it was like, I'm thinking of that question, Brianne, that you were given, you know, with the, the different generations and sort of events. And I, and I can think of like personal events that were like moments of breaking open that life is not whole. And the sense of in that moment, the sense of sadness and relief. Mm. Right. Cause like, it's, it's like the moment you realize as you get older, the mo- moment you realize things are maybe not what you thought they were. It's both sad and sometimes a relief because now it's like, well, I'm just going to do all the things. Cause it's like, not right. It's not a rom-com. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think I could say that about my relationship with Susan that like, we didn't meet till I was older And I think looking back, like that was exactly how it was supposed to happen because like, I wasn't ready for the kind of relationship we have, which is like, we, we, and we, we don't say it as much as we used to, but when we first got together, we, every day we used to say, um, I choose you today Hmm. because like, like you said, Brianne with friendships, it's work, it's great work, it's hard work and it's work. And so I just think you know, those sort of breaking open moments I can think of. It's just, yeah, it's work. It's not just a like glossing over or a facade of some toxic positivity. And once we can embrace that, it's, it's a morning and a relief. Right. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, um, one of my favorite Jesuits at Loyola, Father Tim Brown, I mean, okay, you probably know remember him from a million years ago, but he's still there. And he, I went to see him the other day, whenever you go to see him, his office is this mess of books and everything. And he, Oh, you always leave with books. So he left me with some books and he's like, I I got these for you. I'm like, you didn't, but thank you very much. Um, So anyway, this is a, it's called seven sacred pauses, living mindfully through the hours of the day. And it's all of these sort of mindfulness moments that they suggest Mm -hmm. like at dawn and all the way through. And one of the things in talking about work, it says your work is for the benefit of the whole world. Mm. And when your spirit mingles or when your spirit mingles with spirit, capital S, you're transformed into a temple of God. So, you know, we didn't need to go down that road necessarily, but I love the idea of 
your work is for the others, right? Like, so let that light just go right through you and mm -hmm. like be a vessel of, of that. And mm -hmm. when I sort of center myself in that, this week was insane at work, but it wasn't bad. It was just busy. Like, and I, and so things didn't get done because other things had to get done, but this was sort of like at my center this week. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in the busy, I, I was so exhausted at the end of the day because I was so present in every single interaction, mm. like where I couldn't remember the morning because it was like, every time I was with a student <laughs> or a colleague, I was like in it, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, and I love that work. Like that work is worthwhile work, you know? Yeah. And even though a lot of the things we talked about were really hard, a hundred percent, it was bitter. And you know, it was the bittersweet, mm. like in life, like in action. <laughs> Mm -hmm. happening so yeah yeah yeah. that's really beautiful I know it's like the what did she say the best way to heal yourself is to heal others you know mm -hmm. and it's like being that wounded healer concept yes. it's you know I think that it's so like you said Brian, getting out of your own way and just allowing that light to shine through from whatever source you're you know naming it or whatever but I think that acknowledging our, the hard things and allow, and like using it as fuel, you know, like the upside of loss, like just to whatever your hard thing is, but allowing that to be what impels you, you know, what moves you forward in life. I think it's like, it's, it's reframing the, the hard from being like this tough thing that the fly, you know, that is distracting you from the, the road, you know, just trying to use that as, um, you know, what lays the the floor before you and what, what, you know, helps you walk the, the path because it's so, yeah, we all have it and we can all benefit from sharing it. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I love what you're both saying. And I know Brianna might roll her eyes at me for saying this, but like, it made me think of, we need to invite the discomfort. Because what I think at the end of the day, for me, what I'm learning as a parent of human beings is that most of the time when I shrug off my kids crying, because in the moment, like you had said, Kate, you're running from this thing and that most of the time when I shrug it off, I'm actually not shrugging off their thing. I'm running from my thing. And so if I can find a way in that moment to invite the discomfort I can be there for their thing. That's what I have figured out in my, in my life that this 99% of the time isn't even about what's going on with them. This is my human response to discomfort, which is to run away, to push it down, to hide from it. And I just like, I don't do it great yet, but I am working very hard to not do that for my kids. Cause I want my kids to be able to sit in it notice it, talk about it, process it. And so I, yeah, I think we have to invite our own discomfort as hard as it is. I think it can become, it's, it's, I guess in, at the end of the day, like it's there, mm -hmm. it's either going to help you <laughs> yeah, what you do with it, what is, you do yeah. with like, it's yeah. going to show up. It's yeah. a part of the bittersweet. And so like you have choices to make, do you sort of 
wrestle it in a way that you can benefit from it? Or do you wrestle it in a way that like you're not benefit from it, from it. And now that light that you're trying to push out into the world is not being pushed out in the way that you want it to, to your kids. Cause they're just, they're seeing the like ignoring. Right. Totally. So, so when I say invite, like, I know some people are like, yeah, right. I, I just, it's there. It's already right. there. It's already at the party. So like you can put it in a corner and ignore yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> or you yeah. can invite it in. Right. I don't know. Totally. And she said that too. I love, she walked us through the, the five skills to acknowledge the acceptance of the bitter. Yeah. I love this. It was like, first acknowledge that a loss has occurred. Okay. Second, embrace the emotions that accompany it. Mm. Just welcome them all in uh, instead of trying to control it, you know, with food, alcohol, work, whatever, just feel yep. the hurt. Third, accept all of our feelings, thoughts, and memories, even the unexpected and seemingly inappropriate ones. <laughs> Fourth, expect that sometimes we'll feel overwhelmed. Mm. And fifth, just watch out for unhelpful thoughts. And like, it's what all page is that, Kate? What page That's is that? 95. Thank you. But I just love that. I was like, yes. yes, it's everything we've said, but it's like, okay, there's like a little to-do list. Because as you were saying that, Carrie, I thought- that is so true and so hard, you so know, when hard. you're like, Hey, uh, dinner's on the table. We got to go. We got four places. We're trying, you know, like, and then, and trying to be like, okay, like, let me address my hurts. But I think that the more intention and awareness we can bring to our own stuff, the better off our tiny humans will be for it, you know? And I think it's like, and that I thought that was so helpful just for me to just go like, okay, you know, cause she said, um, those, they, there was a study by University of Toronto in 2017, but she said that those who are pre-screened as being negative emotion acceptors, mm -hmm. those who took it in and just accepted that it was, weird, it was real, suffered less stress and they had a greater sense of well-being than their peers, even mm -hmm. when they experienced stresses. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like, that is so, it's, and that part is, I feel like the acceptance is such a baby step that I feel like that's, it seems like, yeah that's an, that's a reachable one yeah. going out into the world. I can accept that there are stresses. I can, I can let those feelings come in. And that, but then it's like the rest of the to-do list of like what to do with it and how to manage it. That seems for me harder, but if you could start there, I think that's a win. Yeah. I mean, that's the wounded healer, right? Cause like yeah. in, in that process that you're describing every time you do something similar to that, you're giving yourself instant feedback and starting to heal yourself. Right. Cause that like, cause like that, what I've noticed and I think I've shared, like Sarah is the crier in the family and I was a crier as a kid. So every time she cries, I not every time, but a lot of times I'm like, Oh, I just need her to, I just need to calm her down. Cause it's like my stuff. Right. And I've noticed that like, <laughs> this sounds terrible. Cause she's my daughter. I love her to death. It's just the crying. And I just like, I grab her and I'm like, and I can feel in myself, like, it's a little easier. It's a little like, it's because I'm also healing. It's not because I can't tolerate my kid crying. It's because I need to have some healing that I need to do. Right. And so, and I'm sure people listening, I hope people listening to this podcast are probably like, Oh, she's a bad mom. Cause she can't deal with her kid crying. <laughs> I don't but think like, so. it's, no way. it's, it's my stuff. Like, and I'm trying to acknowledge that it's my stuff and you're right. We just, we have to take those, those simple, but hard <clears throat> steps to like, heal ourselves and show up better for our for whomever, whether it's your kid or your neighbor or your, you know, brother, whatever the person. So, yeah. Oh, I just love these conversations. 
same. I so know. <laughs> so nice to spend time with you guys. It's so great. Brian, I know it's, it's, a, Carrie. it's awesome. It, oh it's my gosh. Such a, it's such a gift for sure. Oh. So who has a, who has a final like takeaway for the, to wrap us up any, I mean, there's so, there's so much good in this book. Um, I know. I, what is the page 243? What does she say? Uh, whatever pain you can't get rid of, whatever joy you can't contain, make it your creative offering. And mm. I just loved that. You know, she kind of went on to say, you know, maybe you're a psychologist who wants to make room in your field for what the mythologist calls a sacred psychology, um, the deepest yearning in every human soul to return to its spiritual source. Maybe you're a theologian grappling with, you know, our culture's diminishing interest in religion. Maybe you're in mourning and it's dawning on you that you can move forward, if not today, then one day. Or maybe you've reached midlife for your twilight years and you're realizing that the lengthening shadows needn't be depressing, but rather a chance to stop and notice the everyday glories you've been too distracted to see. And for all of us, no matter our domain, there's this simple exhortation to turn in the direction of beauty. And I love that. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, it's, yeah. Did you see I, her I, hand? I, did you see Kate's hand go up when she said midlife? It was like she was looking at me when she said that. <laughs> No, I did not see that. that like the <laughs> discussion. I'm like, all of us humans, <laughs> in no way. <laughs> Kate sent me a book about the second half of life. <laughs> so Listen, apparently we're all on the back nine. Let's just be honest. <laughs> we're all on the conveyor belt. Oh my God. That's awesome. So that is a, that is a. We That's were, it great. was kind of your uh, intergenerational experience. That was right. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Good that, connection. That was such a, that's a beautiful quote. And I think, yeah, yeah, it is like, it just says all the things that are in that book. So, ah, well, I hope um, our listeners have enjoyed this set of podcasts, these two podcasts, as much as I have, I feel, um, I don't know. I just feel very lit up and energized for the day. So I will be um, walking around on my my tiptoes for the rest of the day. So thank you both for a great um, and beautiful conversation, Brianne and Kate. It was wonderful to see both of you. And Kate, you're welcome back anytime you want to come on the pod. Um, maybe we should, not right now, but we will maybe pick another book because that was fun. So maybe we should think about another book that we could uh, dig into and and do another couple of episodes because i think it's it's fun. Be awesome yeah for sure all right everybody thank you so much for listening this has been another episode of tell me this uh take care and be well Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.